This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and welcome to Poetry for Men, part of the Renaissance of Men podcast. This week, I'm going to try something a bit different. If my previous two poems by Rilke and Longfellow were mythological and religious in nature, this episode will be more individual and personal. If the previous two poems were broad and expansive, this one will be more intimate and concrete. And if those works felt uplifting and inspiring, this one may be a bit more challenging. That is by design. Because as powerful as art can be to ennoble and inspire us, it can be equally powerful at teaching us. It can shine a bright spotlight on an aspect of life we might not otherwise see. It can make us aware, open our eyes, and make us wise. Art is the only way that I know of to truly learn from other people's experiences. I think because the artist takes into himself so much information, and through the magical processes that happen inside consciousness, he's able to distill that information into something beautiful, pure, and true. Through the pearl, we learn about the oyster's experience of sand. So if you're a man and you're listening to this, this poem may make you uncomfortable, for reasons I'll get into. It makes me uncomfortable, for reasons I'll also get into. But we're in this together, and I promise you that by the end I'll have done my best to give you a new perspective on something vital, in the hopes that this poem might help you become a better man, a better father, a better son, and even a better friend. I could very easily get political with this, for reasons that will become clear, but I've chosen not to. I'll leave that to you, the listener, to consider the ways this poem applies to our shared lives as men and women. Let's dig in. This week's poem is entitled Mother and Son by one of Canada's best-loved and most popular poets, Alden Nolan. Nolan was born in rural Nova Scotia in 1933 to a dirt-poor laborer father and a mother who was only 15. Alden's mother later abandoned the family, leaving he and his younger sister to be raised by their paternal grandmother. Alden's family thought education was a waste of time, and he was forced to leave school at only 10 years old. At age 14, he took a job at a local sawmill. Then, two years later, he discovered a library in a nearby town. On weekends, he'd walk or hitchhike 18 miles there to get books. He said of the time, I wrote as I read in secret. My father would as soon have seen me wear lipstick. Just as an aside, we live in an era today where any book is just a click away from our doorstep or device. Try to imagine the amount of passion for learning it must take for a teenage boy to hitchhike or walk 18 miles to get books, in secret. This passion would fuel Nolan's career. At 19, his confidence and intelligence landed him a night shift job at a newspaper, which supported his pursuit of poetry. He also spent two years as secretary of the New Brunswick Fish and Game Protective Association which would inspire the environmental themes that would later appear in his work. In 1967, at age 34, he was awarded a prestigious Guggenheim Fellowship, which are offered to, quote, 
those who have demonstrated exceptional capacity for productive scholarship or exceptional creative ability in the arts. And in the same year, his collection Bread, Wine, and Salt was awarded the Canadian Governor General's Award for Poetry. Finally, in 1978, he was awarded the Queen's Jubilee Medal to mark the 60th anniversary of Queen Elizabeth II's accession to the throne. Alden Nolan passed away in 1983 after a near 20-year bout with throat cancer, which he struggled with during the entire ascendancy of his literary career. To this day, in the University of New Brunswick, the Alden Nolan Award for Excellence in English Language Literary Arts is named in his honor. As you'll see, Nolan's style is plain and raw. Unlike Rilke or Longfellow, he avoids a grand literary approach. And typical of 20th century poets, he writes with honesty and a perceptive eye about real life and human relationships. As you listen to this poem, I encourage you to place yourself in the scene as an observer. Try to envision what Nolan is describing. See it in your mind's eye. Imagine how you'd feel being there, witnessing the moment he describes. If you need to, listen to the poem more than once before you proceed to my interpretation. The more vividly you can see the moment, the more you'll take away. This is Mother and Son by Alden Nolan. She goes on with her story, this woman whose 12-year-old son has drifted into the party. Her mind is still with the guests, but her flesh has claimed possession of his. She pushes his hair back from his eyes, curls a lock of it around her finger, while continuing to entertain us with her wit. The touch of her hand embarrasses him, but only a little. He shrugs slightly, that is all. Now she smiles at him as if conscious of his presence for the first time. It's a loving smile, of course, but not altogether a friendly one. There's a pride in that smile, and a sense of power, even a hint of cruelty. She's a normal parent. She pinches his earlobe now, plays with the buttons on his shirt, talking with us all the while. He wriggles for an instant, and then surrenders, half gratefully, half resentfully, to her caresses. They both know she's the stronger, that she'll be the stronger for a while yet, that he couldn't break away from her even if he could make up his mind, that it's what he wants. If this poem made you uncomfortable, there's a good reason why. This is a poem about violence. We're used to thinking of violence in the action movie sense. Explosions, gunshots, bloodshed. But violence can be quieter and take place right in front of our eyes in a way that's legal, or even socially acceptable, but no less severe. At a cocktail party in what's most likely a comfortable upper-middle-class home, a mother is abusing her son. The only reason we're not comfortable using that word is that our culture today is unable to talk about the ways that women abuse men. In fact, we have trouble admitting that such behavior even exists. But for those of us who have had mothers like the one described in the poem, like I did, and for those of us who have seen such behavior, either in public or private, we know how real this issue is, even if we can't talk about it. This is also a poem about contrasts. Using intentional language, Nolan is contrasting the violent acts he's witnessing with the mild social context they're taking place in. First, the context. In the first line of the poem, the woman, quote, goes on with her story. Her son drifted into the party, 
as if on the subtle currents that guide us around anyone's home, perhaps during the holidays. Her mind is still with her guests. I feel like I can hear the champagne glasses clinking and background noise of conversation taking place behind the scene. She continues to entertain the group with her wit and smiles at her son absentmindedly. As the scene progresses, she never stops talking. And this is where visualization becomes important. I see the scene taking place in a living room, with the woman seated on a chair and the guests on a couch. Everything is very casual and relaxed, and nothing that's happening disturbs the air for even a moment. But the poet sees. Now the violence. The mother has, quote, claimed possession of her son's flesh. She's touching his hair, curling his locks around her finger. The boy is visibly uncomfortable, embarrassed, and trying to shrug off her touch. The mother smiles lovingly, but without warmth. It's a prideful smile, with a sense of power. Then the violence escalates, pinching his earlobe, playing with the buttons on his shirt as he's wriggling. Nolan uses the word caresses now. The boy finally surrenders, but in the last stanza, Nolan uses the phrase, break away. This is not a casual interaction. This is a poem about forced physicality against a child's sovereign will. The last stanza makes this clear. Quote, they both know she's the stronger, that she'll be the stronger for a while yet. The word for that is violence. But in case there's any doubt what Nolan is seeing or what he thinks, one word breaks the surface. Cruelty. And to make sure I was clear what that word meant, I looked it up. Oxford defines cruelty as, quote, callous indifference to or pleasure in causing pain and suffering. And I feel it's important to note that the sample usage of the word that follows is, quote, he has treated her with extreme cruelty. Cruelty is the one thing that wouldn't be appropriate at a cocktail party. People get angry and get in arguments all the time at parties, especially when alcohol is involved. We've all seen couples get in fights in social situations. I've probably been in one or two myself. But seeing cruelty in your friends, that changes things. So notice the impersonal language. Nolan never says who this woman is. The mother is only referred to as she or this woman. Does he not know the name of the woman whose house he's visiting? Or is he seeing another side of someone he once considered a friend? But in order to wave it off beneath the genteel surface once again, Nolan immediately dismisses her actions as, she's just a normal parent. Is she? Now let's look at the boy. First, he drifts into the party. He's embarrassed, shrugging, wriggling, finally surrendering, and undecided if he wants to break away. He's 12 years old, prepubescent, harmless. He's young enough to still be connected to his mother, but old enough to know there's a world beyond her that some part of him is beginning its growth to achieve. But it's not his time to do so. Not for, quote, a while yet. And in the meantime, he knows intuitively that something about this interaction is wrong. And perhaps it always has been. Because this is undoubtedly not the first time his mother has afflicted him with cruelty. Only now she's putting on a show. And that's the final insult. That she's doing this with impunity, violating her son's physical, emotional, and reading between the lines, even sexual sovereignty, in full view of her guests, many of whom probably can't even see it. But Nolan sees. A self-made man, 
son of a laborer, who at a similar age was working in a sawmill. He sees the latent masculine power in the boy, as a man who's claimed it for himself, and he sees it under assault, and he's ultimately powerless to do anything about it, except use his words to draw attention to something that might otherwise remain invisible. For me, there are two important questions that follow from this. First, where is the father? He's not mentioned, not around. Presumably, he's somewhere in the party. But if this isn't the first time, why has the father not put a stop to this behavior? Does he even recognize his wife's narcissism? And second, what do you think will become of this boy as he grows up? How will he think about women? This is a question I address to the men listening. In the world of male personal development, we often talk about alphas and betas, the dominant and the passive, the hard and the soft, big boys and mama's boys. What creates a mama's boy? I can tell you, because I used to be one. It's being trapped in the psychology of the mother without the intervention of the father. Now, I love my mom and dad. I've talked about these subjects with them. And I've been on my own journey with this, for which I'm grateful because it means that I can talk to you about it. But understand, that man you think is weak or soft, what if he wasn't born that way? What if he was made? What if his defenses were systematically broken down until he could be a tool for his mother's pleasure? Would that change what you think of him? Can you see a weak man in your life as Nolan did, as a 12-year-old boy whose sovereignty was violated? Does that give you a better perspective on your brother? Or how about the angry man, the man who hates women? Is it possible that such treatment by a mother could bottle up within a son, boundaries constantly being violated until someday an explosion results from a powerful adult male body against a woman who unknowingly says or does the wrong thing the wrong way? Does that help you understand behavior and characteristics that may have been inexplicable? Can you look on your fellow man with a bit more compassion now for what might have been his story in a time beyond even his own memory? Also, if you're a man for whom this poem hits a little close to home, I want you to know I understand you and you aren't alone. The best advice that I can give you is to spend time with your brothers. That has been my journey of choosing to leave the world of the mother and venturing into the world of the father. It was a long journey, but ultimately it was the journey of transformation that led me here today. I believe we're lucky to live in an era where there are so many men's communities to join. I encourage you to seek one out or to write me at poetry at rentofmen.com and I would be happy to recommend one to you. Now to mothers and to fathers. There is something precious, good, noble, and true within your sons, and of course your daughters too but this is a podcast about men. I'm not a parent yet, but I feel comfortable saying that I believe that mothers, it's your responsibility to nurture and protect this blessed core of your sons. And fathers, the same is true for you. You must protect your sons from each other and yourselves. And finally, to women. Our culture is obsessed with talking about the power that men have over women and refuses to acknowledge the ways that women have power over men. This is unhealthy. Please consider this poem closely. Like all art, it demands to be perceived beyond ideology. And as we all listen to this poem together, once again, 
I ask that we say a prayer for our boys. Ultimately, that prayer is for ourselves. As always, I invite you to write me with your thoughts at poetry at renofmen.com. Next week, I'll be reading a poem that will help us understand what we can do if we carry hurts like this. And if you know a man or woman, son or daughter, father or mother, or little boy that would benefit from this poem, I invite you to share these words. Once again, this is Mother and Son by Alden Nolan. She goes on with her story, this woman whose 12-year-old son has drifted into the party. Her mind is still with the guests, but her flesh has claimed possession of his. She pushes his hair back from his eyes, curls a lock of it around her finger, while continuing to entertain us with her wit. The touch of her hand embarrasses him, but only a little. He shrugs slightly, that is all. Now she smiles at him as if conscious of his presence for the first time. It's a loving smile, of course, but not altogether a friendly one. There's a pride in that smile, and a sense of power, even a hint of cruelty. She's a normal parent. She pinches his earlobe now, plays with the buttons on his shirt, talking with us all the while. He wriggles for an instant, and then surrenders, half gratefully, half resentfully, to her caresses. They both know she's the stronger, that she'll be the stronger for a while yet, that he couldn't break away from her even if he could make up his mind, that it's what he wants. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.